Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hey everybody, it's John from Word Balloon letting you know that once again I am helping out on an online convention and make you aware of it. Baltimore Comic Con is coming. It's going to be October 23rd, 24th, and 25th, and we've got a lot of exciting programming to bring you that weekend. Among the stars already confirmed, Dave Gibbons, Howard Chaikin, Dennis Cowan, Bill Sinkevich, Walt Simonson, Tom King, Jerry Conway, Mark Wade, Brian Bendis, Susan Eisenberg, Cecil Castellucci, Stephanie Phillips, Becky Cloonan, Garth Ennis. How about that? Just for starters, we've got incredible programming that we're putting together, a lot of -of one-of-a-kind stuff that you are not going to want to miss. It's Baltimore Comic Con, including the Ringo Awards, which will be presented live. Can't wait to be part of it. Baltimore Comic Con, October 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Keep listening to Word Balloon for more details. You're not going to want to miss it. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. I'm happy to welcome Chicago broadcaster Steve Darnell. Steve is a comic book writer. Back in the day, he wrote Alex Ross's Uncle Sam graphic novel series, a very biting uh, political book that came in the late 90s. Uh, He is also currently working on another Alex Ross project. Uh, They're doing a Marvel's anthology and uh, the wraparound dialogue is with Doctor Strange, and Steve wrote uh, the narrative for Doctor Strange for this very interesting multi-part series that's going to feature a lot of great writers and artists looking back at the Marvel age, the entire history of the Marvel Universe. Really, really neat stuff. But Steve and I primarily are here to talk about our favorite subject, old-time radio. I'm a massive radio drama fan and comedy fan. Uh, I, I wanted to get into radio probably because as a kid I was exposed to those great old uh, radio programs uh, of, of all kinds. I mean, everything we get on television, we first got on radio. The Golden Age happened from uh, the 30s uh, through the early 60s. 1962 was the last two uh, network broadcast radio dramas. Gunsmoke was still on the air. No, excuse me. It was Suspense and, uh, ha- and um, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. So it was this mystery horror anthology show, Suspense, and a great detective show, Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. Uh, Steve and I are here to talk primarily, because it is Halloween, about the great horror dramas of radio and also great science fiction dramas of radio. We've got some great examples, but we talk about just radio in general uh, and in its uh, you know prime from uh, those uh, 32 years of incredible productions and incredible acting and writing and directing. I mean, the great Orson Welles, as we discuss, that was his prime medium, was radio. 
talk about great uh, radio actors like Jack Webb and William Conrad and Boris Karloff and the like. But uh, really fun conversation with Steve Darnell. There's a little bit of EC Comics sprinkled in there. But really, I, I really wanted to talk mostly about uh, the golden age of radio with Steve Darnell. He's got a great radio show called Those Were the Days that broadcasts here in Chicago uh, every Saturday afternoon from 1 till 5 on uh, WDCB. And in fact, you can stream his show today at WDCB.org. Steve Darnell talking about old-time radio, but really about uh, the great horror and sci-fi stories right now on Word Balloon. As always, this episode of Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners and their subscriptions and support of Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. I am pleased to say that not only are there listeners, but also a lot of comic book guests are uh, supporters of Word Balloon via Patreon and part of the League. Uh, I would like to uh, send you a domino mask and cape for your support. If you're interested, I know it's a weird time and a lot of people are counting every penny. Um, is Word Balloon and the programming I provide to you each month worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? If you think it is, if you can swing it, I hope you'll consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Aftershock has a really interesting slate of books that are happening. A really neat book that just got announced. It's called Knock'em Dead, and it's from Elliot Ryle and Mattia Monaco. Prior Bryce has always wanted to be funny, and now he's taken the plunge and started doing stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, his older sister, Ronan, wants her brother to stop daydreaming and focus on his future. Prior is determined to succeed. The only problem is he totally sucks at stand-up. That is until an accident changes everything, leading both Prior and Ronan to discover comedy isn't all, all it's cracked up to be. Coming your way in December, it's Knock'em Dead, a supernatural horror about the high cost of making it, brought to you by Elliot Royale and Mattia Monaco from Aftershock Comics. Pretty neat stuff. A new interesting book that will be joining the Aftershock Pantheon. Check out more details. Go to their website and find out about more great series. Full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond codes on how to order these books and more at AftershockComics.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Ward Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntra is here. I'm really excited about this hour because... Uh, I'm going to be talking about a couple of my favorite subjects uh, with, with uh, a guy who's a local Chicago broadcaster. I admire his show. And the show has been on for over 50 years. It was called Those Were the Days. It is called Those Were the Days. Uh, it is now on WDCB, the College of DuPage radio station, on Saturday afternoons from 1 p.m. until 5 p.m. Central Time. Four hours of incredible uh, entertainment because uh, he goes back and delves in the golden age of radio. So right now I want to welcome our guest. It's uh, Steve Darnall, everybody. Steve, I'm back. Great to see you. you. Welcome. You look great. Thank you, and you also. You're 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 bearing up well under this pandemic. What else can we do, Steve? It's interesting. Sadly, we have to spend more time indoors. But uh, I immediately think of uh, great audio drama when I think of indoor entertainment, and that's something that you provide every week uh, with your excellent show. Those were the days. Congratulations on a great show, man. Well, thank you. I mean, the shows do most of the work, as you know, um, but it's really nice for the chance to be a, a curator to the golden age of radio. And I didn't realize at the time, uh, at least at the beginning of 2020, just how important it would be to have something akin to a regular routine, <laughs> you know, to oh, know that we were, I was going to have to be doing the same thing every Saturday. At least I'd know what day that was. 
Was um, it, has it been much of an adjustment in terms of how you're doing the show since uh, COVID hit us? Well, yeah, I mean, working remotely, it's, it means a little more coordinating. Um, you know, there's some parts we have to uh, do, we have to pre-record with, with Ken Alexander, who's our newsman. Um, and yeah, a little, a little more piecemeal, but that said, Yes, it's it's sort of funny, as you know. I think when the difference between, say, recording something and doing it live is when you do it live, you say something, and good or bad, it's out of your mouth. <laughs> um, when you pre-record something, and we've done that occasionally, uh, you you get something out, and then ten minutes later, you're thinking, oh, could I improve on that? Could I shorten <laughs> that? And then five days later, you've done your four. You know? But no, it's um, so yeah, it's a little strange to to be you know, working by myself as opposed to working with an engineer and a staff. But again, a small price to pay for group safety. So I'm I'm fine with that. And again, the shows do so much of the work that I can't really complain. The fact is that um, our radio hosts at WDCB ensured that we would be able to keep doing this week after week after week. So the fact that we can keep presenting Jack Benny and Suspense and Dimension X and all those other shows, um, you know, I, there's an awful lot of inter, of nonsense I'm willing to brook in order to do that. So, and this this has been pretty small potatoes in that regard. I hear you, I hear man. You. man. Um, uh, oh, forgive oh, me. Forgive me. You know, could you put on your like earbuds or something because I can hear myself echoing. Now okay. batting for the Dodgers, number uh, forty-four, Manny Moda. Moda. Well, let me get my headphones. Can you vamp for a minute? Of course I can. Absolutely, okay. man. I'm an old radio man. I can vamp for a few minutes. That's all right. Uh, no, this is going to be great. And truly, I'm so excited to talk to Steve about this subject because I'm really uh, I, I've been fascinated by old time radio since I was a little kid. Uh, only a couple years after the Those Were the Days program started with its original host and curator, Chuck Shaden. And uh, man, I'll tell you, it just in my imagination, imagination was ignited by this incredible work that was done. 40 and, and uh, you know, 40 years earlier, really, and, and 30 years earlier in the 40s and 50s. And um, it, it just blew my mind in terms of how great uh, the entertainment was. And really, the comedies were still funny. He mentioned Jack Benny. I'm still a massive fan. Uh, I, I love the mystery shows. The detective shows are like mini noirs. They're so fantastic. And, I mean, you want to hear Jack Webb before he was doing Dragnet, some of his great detective shows, Pete Kelly's Blues and... Jeff Regan, and of course, the great Pat Novak, the best noir that Webb ever did. Perfect for that. William Conrad, you know, as Cannon or Jake and the Fat Man, if you like old TV. This guy was the Spencer Tracy of radio, was so important and just did incredible vocal performances in every genre, including Westerns, where he was the original Matt Dillon on Gunsmoke. That's another great show that I could talk about. So uh, I'm just rasping about uh, all the all the all the radio shows that I love, Steve. And, Thank um, you. I apologize. You know, this one thing I have I learned know. from this pandemic is I apparently desperately need new browser software. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, are you on a Mac, Steve? I am. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. You know something? I, I'm sorry, man. Safari can get buggy, and yeah, I, I should have I should have warned you to use Google Chrome instead. You know what? I will say I've one I've I've sort of and I apologize too because I kind of felt prey to the ease of working at home. You know, I've been doing a lot of virtual programs and lectures and that sort of thing. And great. It is great. But very often I fell into the trap of thinking, Hey, I, it's six fifty-seven, and I've got a seven o'clock lecture. I'll go down the stairs and start that. 
how hard can that be? So, anyway. But yes, I, uh, I overheard you talking about William Conrad, who, of course, is one of the absolute greats of, of radio and, and television as well. But yes, he's he was uh, a ubiquitous presence on radio. Radio was his medium. I mean, I, I mean, again, you're right. He had an he had a great television career and, a, and an interesting film career. A lot of interesting movies he made uh, over the years. Very much so. Yeah. But but yeah. honestly, that voice, that wonderful resonant voice, and just commanded your attention when he was a side character or the main character in something. I just loved him. It's true, and I mean, we played we've played him uh, as Marshall Dillon on Gunsmoke, of course, which he had for nine years on radio. And interestingly enough, for, for what we're talking about, about a month ago, we played a suspense broadcast um, in which he starred in an adaptation of Kaleidoscope, the Ray Bradbury story. Fantastic. That's yes, amazing. And, and he was great because he was sort of like going through this, this gamut of emotions in this story. And yes, if you know him as Cannon or Jake and the Fat Man, that really only gave him a, a fraction of what he was able to express as an actor. Um, to hear him on on suspense as this man who is quite clearly going to die and goes through all this emotional range, it's really something. It was just, and you're right, there was really no medium like radio. Uh, and that's the thing I think that people might forget, you know, because you see photos of the, the era and you see people holding scripts and you think, well, how hard can that be? You're reading stuff off a page. But as you know, you listen to these shows, these are people who are acting. They are actually, this isn't just, you know, me reading copy off a page the way I would if, <laughs> if I was doing something cold, you know. Um, you've actually got to imbue these things with some meaning because uh, unlike a lot of, you know, unlike people on stage or screen, you don't have the option of using your arms and legs and making facial expressions to get your point across. You have to do it all with your voice. But also that unlimited budget of radio to achieve I mean, that you know it very well, that great Stan Freeberg comedy bit where he explains to a little girl what you could do with radio that you couldn't do with pictures. And he, and he creates this giant uh, ice cream sundae with a mountain of uh, whipped cream and a giant maraschino cherry dropped by uh, the, the, you know. Royal Canadian Air Force, isn't the it? Royal, yeah, it was the Royal Canadian Air Force, absolutely. <laughs> and it's true. And I mean, it's such, a, it's such a great illustration of how terrific the theater of the mind is. And, uh, and that's why I really wanted to talk to you about um, some of the great examples of radio horror and radio science fiction, uh, things that we think about on Halloween. And the great thing is, Steve, these, these shows are 80, 90 years old mm -hmm. and, and, they're still, and they still resonate. And isn't it great? I hope in the same way that uh, Turner Classic Movies is really exploring going back 100 years and showing us you know, the silent era, well, 110 years in the, you know, starting in the silent era. But I love that. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. We're coming on 100 years of radio's golden age and we'll see it in our lifetime. And I really hope I don't even know, honestly, as someone who does it every week, do you get um, what kind of young audience? Do you get a young audience as well as uh, the people like us that enjoy it from a nostalgic standpoint? Definitely. I mean, I, I would not presume to say that we have our finger on the pulse of youth culture. Um <laughs> But, you know, I got into these shows when I was 12 years old, so it can be done. Um, and, yeah, we hear from young listeners and, and certainly through social media, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter. And yeah. again, I, you know, given young, young is a pejorative term. I, I think it's fair to say definitely a lot of people who weren't around for the golden age of radio in any shape or form 
So yes, but I'm. That said, I think if you've reached someone under fifty or under sixty, that's a start. Um, and yeah, there are times when um, I've been at library appearances and whatnot, and met young children, you know, eight or ten or twelve years old, who who are there because you know who who are at these library talks because they wanted to be the ones there, not because their parents dragged them. Um, so yeah, it's it's always breathtaking when that happens, and I'm always very fully aware that I want to make sure that those those young listeners make sure that if they came here to hear stuff, that they're going to hear stuff. And, you know, you sort of make a point of asking them, what's your favorite show and what do you like? And of course, you know, always interesting responses, you know, to, to hear a 10-year-old who really loves Johnny Dollar. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, that just makes my day right there. Because it's like, where else are you going to hear that? Um and yeah, you talk about, I mean, Stan Freeberg used to say radio or television expands the in- imagination up to 27 inches. <laughs> and, you know, there was a lot of truth to that. And the fact that, and I always think of the Michael O'Donohue line about how television was to him a lava lamp with sound. <laughs> um, you know, the fact is, yes, the unlimited budget of your imagination uh, means that, yes, you can conjure up any scenario that's put in front of you if if you've got people who are doing it with with sounds and with voices and with music and i mean i know when i was when i was a teenager um that douglas adams had written and produced the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and that was another example of you know radio is a theater of the mind when you could say hey we're in outer space and it's like i have no evidence to the contrary so sure and yeah i think and and it seems to me like there's still there's still an audience for that's that stuff that stimulates the imagination. Maybe maybe more so now with the pandemic. I don't know. Well, and also um, the way that uh, audio drama has come back in podcast form and all the major uh, entertainment networks are starting to invest in audio drama. So it's oh, really I, I really see a second golden age in the same way that they call the current television age as a second golden age. It's pretty exciting. I- it really is. It really is. And knowing, I mean, I know a few of these things, like the folks at the Thrilling Adventure Hour, and, you know, admittedly, it's a lot of it's meant to be performed live, but you're right. The ones, even the ones who do it live, if they record it after the fact, you know, you realize, yes, it's a human voice. And that that already gives you an intimacy uh, by virtue of the fact you're, it's, you're, not, you're, you're not passively staring at a screen. Uh, you're actually engaging with a human voice. And there's no experience like that. I think that's one reason that that the news reports from that era are so interesting. I know that's not really what we're talking about today, but Go on. Uh, we just played Herb Morrison's recording of the, the Hindenburg disaster from 1937. Wow. And in a way, I mean, my God, you realize, you, you listen to the recording in its entirety, the first nine minutes are Herb Morrison basically doing an infomercial for American Airlines as the airline that connects with the Hindenburg and how great it was that they flew us out here to Lakehurst, New Jersey, and here comes the ship. And then, you know, like a great horror film, you realize, oh God, this is just a setup for something truly horrific. And then it happens. And, and yes, he is clearly overcome with emotion repeatedly throughout this, let alone with smoke. Um, Yeah. And, and it's just, it's really striking to listen to it. And I don't think, as as evocative as television broadcast journalism can be, I don't think anything could possibly equal a report such as that. I mean, well, the fact that we all know this report 83 years after the fact, you know, everyone, people who don't even know radio know, oh, the humanity and all that. Yes. 
know? one it, it was it was the 911 of its day in yeah. terms of yeah. the shock and 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 that immediate reaction no you're right and it was that was uh for chicago radio that was for wls am i right uh, it was Steve? yeah yeah and in that, fact the story about getting they had actually gone to make a recording which they were going to play on wls and once this happened of course the nazi government was all over herb morrison Wow. Because they, you know, they thought there was sabotage, and they wanted they wanted every scrap of everything related to this disaster. Sure. And I seem to recall reading that at some point fisticuffs were involved. But the fact was that I do think that Herb Morrison and his engineer had to do some fancy footwork to get back to Chicago with those recordings. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Well. Uh, you know, I'm gonna. I want to promote what you're doing tomorrow, Steve, because uh, every every holiday weekend or Halloween weekend, I should say, uh, on WDCB.org, that's where people can go and listen live if they want. Again, tomorrow, starting at one o'clock Central Time, so two Eastern until uh, five o'clock Central Time or six Eastern. Uh, on your show tomorrow, I'm just gonna mention the titles because we'll be talking to many about many of these programs. Quiet, please. Lights out. Mysterious Traveler, Murder at Midnight, and Inner Sanctum. Uh, that's a that's a great collection. I uh, yeah, I mean um, yeah, and I, I want to like I said, I definitely want to get into some of these shows. And in fact, the the lobby card, if you will, for our uh, conversation today is this illustration of oh, yes. uh, Lights Out. Um, and you know, shame on me, Steve. I had the information up, and I can, and I can look it up again. But I don't know if you know where these images come from. It's an incredible book. That uh, to really kind of look back at old radio, um, they they did these beautiful kind of news newspaper style um, images to talk uh, to talk about the shows, and that's an yes, image of you I, know I, I cannot, and I know Frank Brissy, who was uh, a radio actor as a young man, and then I think Frank was the first person to really do a golden age radio show in the vein of those were the days, which came afterwards. But I think. He was doing it even as early as the 1950s. Wow. Uh, yeah, which is really staggering to think. I mean, that's that's a prescience, you know, that, that yeah. uh, I really respected. And um, yes, I have that. I have a copy of that book. Uh, a, well, a book. And I'm trying to remember if it's the same one, because there were different people doing those sort of one page one sheet. illustration yeah. sheets. Um, but yeah, feel free to plug away, because I mean, that's that's a. Uh, um, that's a terrific illustration and and really some great likenesses there. Absolutely. Karloff and Joseph Kearns and Hans Conried and Mercy McCambridge. Um, heavens, the other three are I'll have to I'll have to rack my memory banks, but um but and Archobler himself. I mean that that great Archobler, shot of him. Yeah, that's a beautiful picture of Archobler. That's Absolutely. And, um, that you know. And let's talk about let's talk about both uh, lights out and quiet, please, because there's there's sure. a connection there. Obviously, lights out started not with Archobler but Willis Cooper, right. and I love also it's it truly is lights out. I would say, and uh, I'm curious of your opinion, the greatest uh, horror uh, anthology that radio ever produced. I do, and uh, I mean, I, you know, we'll put, we'll talk about others as well. But it started with Willis Cooper. Uh, he left, and then Archobler took over. Um, and it ha and it was created here in Chicago, right? It was, yeah. It was W E N R um, in Chicago, and and the idea, as I understand it, was that um, they were uh, doing a show that that would air Monday nights at midnight, and 
The idea being that uh, any self-respecting parent would have put their child to bed long before midnight <laughs> on a Monday. So that in turn freed them up to tell whatever kind of story they wanted. And yeah, Willis Cooper was the, the first man in charge. And I don't know that any recordings of his work from that time, from the mid-30s, are, are, uh, have survived. But certainly some of the work of his successor, Arch Obler, uh, has survived from the 30s and from the later in the 40s when he was on uh, CBS. And yeah, it's really, it's one of those shows that, yes, when you, th when you think about specific genres, I think Lights Out has to be at the top of the list where horror is concerned. And I think because... And I've talked about this in, in at, at various times that, you know, Lights Out was always a worst case scenario kind of show. You know, the sort of like the, the, the thing your parents tell you to do when you're a child, you know, don't stray from the group. And then here's a story about someone who strays from the group and it just, their life just becomes a living hell. You know, um, there is one. And, and I, I remember this pretty well. It's, it's actually called It Happened and it's Mercedes McCambridge and she's, She's part of this school group in Paris, but she wants to be part of the gay nightlife of Paris. So she breaks away and and just all kinds of terrible stuff happens to her. She's kidnapped. She breaks away by killing her assailant. She runs into the sewers of Paris. She's taken in by an old man who lives in the sewers and, and makes her work at making necklaces out of human bones. You know, and it's sort of like, wow. Yeah. Now you see why your parents said don't stray from the group. Right. I love it. Um, so yeah, it was it was always interesting, and 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 as Archie always said, was that Catwife? Yes, yeah. I was going to get you know a, a Boris Karloff classic, uh, starting with him, and it certainly played by others. In fact, I know there's a, a an album of Archobler tales that yes. basically recreate uh, some of these great Lights Out episodes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, where this this as it says, Catwife, the woman slowly becomes a cat, and it's really creepy. It's, it really it's very is. effective. <laughs> it really is, yes. And the Karloff production is is especially terrifying, I think. But yes, I mean, it is that sort of you know those things you know, that we would we would sort of make casual references to not ever wanting to happen. Lights Out would dramatize those things. Um, you know, Catwife is is a great example of just this unexplained horror. Uh, there's another. Um, called the projective Mr. Drogan. And and okay. basically this guy wakes up with a terrible hangover and his boss is calling in a rage because he's late for work. And finally the guy's taken so much abuse, he just says, why don't you drop dead? And the boss on the other end of the phone <laughs> drops dead. And it's like, Holy cow, you can do that? You know? Outstanding. Um, you know, those are the things we all sort of think, oh, wouldn't it be amazing if that happened? And Lights Out was there to actually show us what would be like if it happened. Isn't it interesting, though, uh, Steve, because uh, we, we're, we're going to talk a bit about EC Comics as well. Mm -hmm. Were there were there parent groups that wanted lights off, lights out off the air in the same way? <laughs> lights off, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, definitely. It's really strange. I, I know there are um, magazine articles from the late 30s and early 40s about, you know, is radio too scary? Um, thinking about shows like Lights. I mean, I mean Lights Out, again by and large, tried to stick with being on late enough to where children would be in bed. Um, but that said, you know, shows like Inner Sanctum or The Hermit's Cave, uh, which could be pretty gruesome at times, um, yeah, those certainly got um, the attention of angry parents and concerned parents. 
Uh, at the same time, it's sort of, it's a strange argument to make that radio could possibly be too violent because you can't actually see any violence. <laughs> but as uh, 64 page special points out, and I'd completely, mm -hmm. another uh, lights out classic that oh, yes, yes was parodied on the Simpsons. The dark. Where, yes. Where the, where the fog turns people inside out. And it was pretty gross hearing these people slowly. I remember hearing that they would crush <laughs> like a wicker basket or something to, uh, yeah, make the sound of the bones breaking. I think as yeah, it... and, then, and the wet rubber glove turned inside out. Really, the simplest of things, and that's that's part of the beauty of it too. You know, someone asked me the other night if I had um, favorite shows, and you know, and again, that's that's a bit like asking favorite babies, and and the mood will your mood will change on any given day from comedy to mystery or whatever. But one of the things I realized is that yet you know, those were the days. I mean, we do. We're still finding shows to play. All that said, there's ultimately going to be a finite number of shows from this period we can play. Okay. And there are going to be some that you simply want to bring back because they had a tremendous impact, like The War of the Worlds or Agnes yeah. Moorhead in Sorry, Wrong Number. And with that, you know, you've, you may have heard these things three or four or five times, but then you hopefully appreciate them in terms of the craft, you know, and you realize you know, listening to the War of the Worlds 80 years after the fact, yes, no, none of us are tricked into thinking these are actual Martians invading Earth. We know that didn't happen. But, you know, the fact is you can listen to the sound effects, you can listen to the microphone technique of Orson Welles and his fellow actors and realize, okay, I can see why this had the impact it did. And that can be as entertaining as anything else. No question. Absolutely. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Man, no, he was, again, another great who he himself would say radio was his strongest medium as, mm -hmm. as, as wonderful as his films were uh, he was most effective on radio and uh, God, I, I never tire of uh, reading about Wells or God, I was so excited a couple of years ago when the other side of the wind finally yes. came out. And did you, did you sit and watch it? I did. I did. It was fascinating. It was fascinating. So it's a weird little fever dream movie, but it's yeah. uh, <laughs> I know. I, I really thought, okay, this is Orson Welles trying to make an art film. Good for him, you know? It's sort of like, yeah, if that, that 1970-something when he was making it, that, yeah. was, that was clearly in some respects of its time in terms of some of the imagery. But that said, uh, it was also unlike anything you were going to see in any other American-made major studio picture. So, yeah, I found it utterly fascinating. Absolutely. Um, Lights Out, yeah, again, is just amazing. You can't go wrong 
the terror is always there. Great use of gongs and the music and uh, the uh, the uh, the chimes of midnight happening, and then them in time. It is later than you think. <laughs> yes, and and the fact that it's such this. It sounds like such a disembodied voice that it's sort of like, that's extra creepy. I don't know if they put some effect on that microphone or not, but yes, it's very unsettling. Absolutely, um, man. That's fine. And Willis Cooper leaves that show and then creates Quiet Please, and, and another show that you're going to feature tomorrow on your show. Yeah, Quiet Please was, uh, I think it was a byproduct of, of both Willis Cooper's work on Lights Out and then his subsequent work with Hollywood, I'm sure, <clears throat> after doing movies for X number of years, he was quite happy to go back to radio. Uh, and in fact, I know that his movie experience uh, turned up in a couple of scripts. I think there were various times when he'd tell a story about some studio executive who got murdered by a mysterious monster. And it's like, I'm sure there was, <laughs> well, I'm revenge. sure he'd been honing, honing that grudge for a while. Um, yeah. Quiet <laughs> please is really a fascinating show. It, it, it's uh Another anthology like Lights Out, it starred a man named Ernest Chappell, who years before had been the announcer for Orson Welles in the Campbell Playhouse. And it's a fairly low-key sort of drama, especially compared to something you know, in the spirit of Grand Guignol like Lights Out or Inner Sanctum. Um, it's really, and in a way it makes it more, more unsettling because you realize that you know, nobody's necessarily shouting or screaming. It's it's more that there's this general sense of unease and dread that's taking place. And sometimes he could write very lighthearted stuff, you know, um, like The Pathetic Fallacy, which is about a, a, a an electronic brain that falls in love with its creator. Uh, you know, so I mean, sometimes it would be delightful and absurd, but other times, yeah, there were stories that that were just so... You were following along and realizing, all right, there's going to be a payoff here, and I don't know what it is, and it's going to be very disturbing when it comes. You know? um, you That's know, awesome, think, man. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, and, and kudos that he found someone like Ernest Chappell who was, you know, who was sort of a low-key, who could be do a low-key voice. You know, like I say, this was not the sort of screaming hysteria that you might associate with a lot of radio mystery and horror and yeah, it's all the more unsettling for it. And the fact that the 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 music is literally it's a piano and an organ playing minor notes, and it's like, mm. yeah, yes. you can see where that was that would have been an acquired taste, but it's one we were very uh, happy to share. Understood, man. Now I got to talk for a minute about Inner Sanctum because yes. and its and its its producer Hyman Brown because another show of the seventies that I fell in love with. Oh yes. Fall the Mystery Theater, Theater, right? CBS Radio Mystery Theater every night at 10.30 Chicago time. I'm sure you and I both were, you know, staying up late enjoying that instead of getting our sleep for the next day of school because it was on seven nights a week, which is yes. amazing. 90-minute show. And, and in, again, the best radio voices available and new voices like I've seen looking at the cast that a young John Lithgow managed yes. to do a Radio Mystery Theater. And, of course, Fred Gwynn was kind of the William Conrad of mystery theater. He was constantly coming back and that beautiful voice and also showing the range that as much as I love car 54 and, and the monsters again, really let Fred Gwynn act. And, and prior to his resurgence as a uh, character actor in the eighties. That's true. That's true. And you're right. I mean, it was a 
fascinating. I, I will say I didn't hear a lot of them in the 70s because... No. No, I, I I don't know, and I don't remember why. Probably it was a a, a parental issue, not okay. in terms of <laughs> would this upset me, but in terms of, hey, you know, first first hour of school is seven forty in the morning. You really should Ooh. go to bed. Um, <laughs> and I was fine with that because I mean I was doing I was doing enough extracurricular activity to where it's like yeah, eleven o'clock I'm I'm out. You know, but yes, it was on in Chicago at ten thirty at night I think. And I will say this: I've heard a lot of them in the years since then. And and they're fascinating, both in terms of what Hyman Brown was doing with what would have been a comparatively low budget for radio drama. Also, uh, I love the fact that it was broadcast over WBBM. And, and I've found air checks of people, recordings people made when they heard the show over BBM. So in a way, as great as the drama is, what's also fascinating are the commercials for Certisaver. And you know, bum 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 bum. Here comes the king. Here comes the big number one. Yeah, the butt spots. Absolutely. So it's like, yeah, that that to me says as much about the 1970s as anything. But Hilarious. yes, it was a it was a great haven for a lot of really talented actors, New York veterans, um, and as you say, a lot of folks who were not there the first time around, but who were also clearly on their way up. Lithgow, uh, Mandy Patinkin is in one. Oh wow. Um, I think Sandy Dennis did one. I think Sarah Jessica Parker, a very young actress, wow. yeah. has, a, has a starring role in one. Um, so yeah, it's, it is it is fascinating when you realize, yeah, these are these are voices that you've either heard before or voices that you're going to hear a lot more of. And uh, in that respect, yes, it's a fascinating and and kudos to Hyman Brown because you know by the 1970s, the nostalgia boom, nostalgia boom notwithstanding, there weren't a lot of people investing money into radio drama. And the fact you're right that he could do this for eight years, five to seven nights a week, uh, is just astonishing. You know, uh, yeah. So, so good, good for him. And and I'm glad that those shows seem to be circulating in some shape or form. Yeah, you know, the, uh, and again, I love what you do with your show because half the fun is hearing yourself and Ken Alexander talk about the period, giving these shows context. But I do, I won't deny that I'm a big fan of the internet archive that has a lot of old radio shows sitting there as well, including episodes of CBS Radio Mystery Theater and Lights Out and uh, Hyman's original show, Inner Sanctum. And there's a great oh, yes. illustration of Inner Sanctum. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's where the creaking door began. And that's really kind of, that was kind of the staple. And I guess, you know, the, I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly there was a door at CBS that really made that ugly sound. And Brown's like, I'm going to make that door a star and yeah, build, this, a, build an anthology show around it. The story I heard was that I guess there was a, a door like that on the Dick Tracy show, which Hyman Brown produced. And of course, you know, it's sort of like when Dick Tracy and Pat Patton need to look in an abandoned warehouse for some escaped fugitive, you know, and perfect. And, and yes, the uh, Hyman Brown apparently figured that door deserved its own show. Uh, and, Clearly, the, yes, he did make that door a star. Um, and and the thing I love about Inner Sanctum, I mean, the stories, you know, can be <laughs> horrific to different ex to different degrees. I guess I, mean? I, I I think you're being kind. I, I don't think it lived up to its reputation, frankly. I think it's it's a little. Um, I don't know if camp is the word. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's it is it is absurd. I mean, the, your, your average yes, your average Inner Sanctum basically it's a higher body count than the end of a Shakespearean tragedy, you know? Um, but, 
what really sold it was the atmosphere that surrounded the story. You have the creaking door and then the host behind the creaking door who, you know, unlike every other horror host in radio, he was utterly bemused by the whole thing, by, by your discomfort, by, by the fact that he was surrounded with caskets and <laughs> nooses and, and corpses. And to him, this was clearly hilarious, you know, and, and was, talking about. He was, a pre, he was a precursor to the, the TV horror hosts like our own Sven Gulli, Rich Goza, we all love. Absolutely. But but really that that entire generation of of television horror hosts that came from the fifties and Universal had put out what they called the shock theater package of monster movies and right. Raymond the the host of Inner Sanctum really was the precursor of that kind of delivery. That's true. Without that, you'd have had no Sven. You'd have no Mad Marvin from Shock Theater. And dare I say it, you wouldn't have had the Crypt Keeper. Absolutely, man. And again, another tie back to EC Comics. Yes, I think I mean, you're right about EC, that. Those EC Comics owed everything to Inner Sanctum. You know, I mean, I think yes. about, you know, the the stories about the, you know, the man who sells the poisoned meat uh, and then his wife gets revenge by, by disemboweling him and putting him in the display case. You know, I mean, that is just, that's, and then of course, again, that the Crypt Keeper or the old witch come back with all these horrific puns about, you know, Glad you could hang around. Um, <laughs> and also, I love, I love those commercials for Lipton Tea where they had like the old Irish lady like cutting them down. Have you heard those versions of it? No. Oh my God. You know, when Chuck would sell um, the cassettes of like the Hall Closet, I believe. Oh, oh on I see. Yes, on the Inner Sanctum show proper. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, Raymond B, you know, oh, we've got a, a show you could simply die for or whatever. And then you'd hear this old lady go, oh, what a terrible thing to say. Mr. Oh, now Post. Mary. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. She, Mary, the, the Lipton Tea spokeslady, is very much out of place on these shows. Um <laughs> And he'd have to acknowledge her. It's like your mom cutting you down. Exactly. And saying, Get off the porch. What do you say to those people? Mom, All right, I'm, I'm sorry, Mary. Show here. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. You're right. It was sort of like you know, if it were television and someone was you know, someone you knew but didn't want to be on the show was just walking in the background. Um, no, it's true. It's true. And, uh, you know, for some reason, I and, and even though the show had other sponsors, that was the only one where they interacted with the host. I mean, he was sponsored by... Carter's liver pills and bromo seltzer, but <laughs> bromo they at least thought enough of, the, of them to cut away for a solid minute and not involve the host. Well, you know, man, at those days, uh, the sponsors were the ones that were making the shows. They were Absolutely. footing the bill for these programs, not the networks, or unless it was a sustaining show, of course, uh, without, a, without a sponsor. So I'm sure, hey, you want to interstate them? Uh, uh, he's going to be talking to Mary. Tough. Right. Yes, Mr. Sponsor. <laughs> That's okay. true. I mean, no, Hyman Brown, I'm sure, was more than happy to accommodate Lipton to do any kind of pitch they wanted to do. But yes, it is a little disarming. And, um, you know, thankfully, there are a bunch of those still in, in circulation. And, and yeah. thankfully, a whole lot more through Armed Forces Radio, which were saved over the years. So. That's amazing. And am I right? Your your mentor at Those Were the Days, Chuck Shaden, did he yes. get a lot of his initial collection uh, from Armed Forces Radio? A fair amount. I think, I, actually, I should, speaking of plugging, Chuck has written a terrific memoir, uh, Chuck Shaden's Radio Days. I recommend it highly. Uh, and I don't just say that because I wrote the afterword. But, boy. You know, I'd say it whoever wrote the afterword. But, um, no, from what he said, I mean, he was, in the 60s, he was sort of, you know, trading with anybody who he thought had 
tapes that he didn't have. But yes, I guess one of his boyhood friends was overseas in Korea, I think, and had access to Armed Forces Radio, where, of course, all these dramas from the 40s and 50s had been preserved for 20-odd years. So yes, while he was trading with people across the country, he was also getting reels sent from overseas. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of I think a lot of Chuck's early collection um, was was due in part to the preservation efforts of Armed Forces Radio. So uh, we owe, we owe Armed Forces Radio a lot in in this field. And uh, am I am I right too, Steve, that regarding Armed Forces Radio, uh, and I think I learned this reading Chuck's first book. Um, speaking of radio, transcribing a lot of his uh, interviews he did with the with the radio people of the Golden Age, and I think he was interviewing Howard Duff. And as I understand it, it was Howard Duff that was taking the commercial broadcasts and editing them for Armed Forces Radio and taking out the commercials and inserting those passages of music and stuff. And there was another uh, celebrity, I think, that was working in this capacity as well. But I definitely know Howard Duff was one of them. Howard Duff and I think Elliot Lewis was another of actor course. who was part of Armed Forces Radio. Yes. And I mean, the rationale during the war, of course, and, and even beyond the war, was was twofold. One was that you know, if you're if you're overseas somewhere and you're thousands of miles from home, you know, you you want to be entertained. You don't want to be told about which toothpaste to buy. Sure. You know, I, I mean, no one no one else on that battleship is going to criticize you because of your the brightness of your teeth. Um, and then second, too, you know, it's, it's in the 1940s, we were nowhere near the global economy that we have today. So, I mean, if you were in Africa or, you know stationed in Europe during World War II, you know, it didn't matter how good Chevrolets were, you weren't going to get one. It didn't matter how good Coca-Cola was, you weren't going to get it, you know? So there was no point in tormenting these guys who weren't going to be home for two years. Like, that's Pepsi-Cola why. Hits Interesting. Spot. Okay, yeah. yeah, I didn't even think that's why they did it, but go on. Well, yeah, so I mean, so for them to hear a Pepsi-Cola jingle would be just sort of like, wow, this is a waste of time. Now I, you know, I I'll, appreciate I'll just that. drink whatever German fluid we have. Um, <laughs> that's a phrase you didn't expect to hear, isn't it? <laughs> German fluid, absolutely. Man. No, no, but you're right. I never really thought of that. That's why they took the commercials out. But it was, you're right. I mean, they were providing this entertainment and it was being shipped by uh, disc, you know, uh, yeah. transcribed discs. And, um, you know, tape really didn't happen until post war. So these absolutely. were on big, big giant albums that could hold maybe 30 minutes on each side or whatever. Uh, no, fa- and thank God they survived. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's you know, and and then were transferred, uh, you know, and, and again in the post-war years, then tape started to happen. I love the fact that Bing Crosby brought the first reel-to-reel tape machines from Germany and used them, you know, to make his Philco Radio Time show, and yeah. you know, you know, and record them long, and then just cut it down to thirty minutes to keep the best bits and stuff like that, and also to pre-record it so he could go play more golf. I was going to say, yes, if you can do four shows in two weeks, yeah, that's that's an extra week of lounging around the house. You know, good for you. Yes, and it's funny. We actually played on those for the days. We played the first Philco Radio Time show, uh, the pre-recorded one, and Bob Hope is on it. And it is really interesting because, you know, it's the old saying, what's there is churse. Um, <laughs> and, and you can hear them clowning around and kidding around, and and you sort of – get the feeling it's like okay these guys really enjoyed the freedom that came from knowing 
hey, we're not going to be arbitrarily cut off at 29 minutes and 30 seconds. You know, if, if this show runs 36 minutes, then Bing's producer takes out seven minutes and we're done. Um, yeah. But, you know, yeah. And, and and of course, yes, I'm sure for a singer, too, it was great to think, all right, if there's a bum note in the orchestra or if I hit a bum note, it's not going out over the air live. And, you know, it's and yeah, yeah really, crack at it, sure. Yeah, by the it took a long time for radio network radio to overcome their resistance to pre-recording, but once they did, um, especially with television, where where the radio stars were asked to do double duty in some cases, it was really uh, it became the the rule rather than the exception fairly quickly. Understood. Now I want to get back to the scary shows yep. and and mention one of my favorites. And by the title, people might think it was just a mystery show, and that's I love a mystery. And uh, the three the three adventurers, Jack, Doc, and Reggie, they are right there at the bottom. And you may or may not recognize uh, the guy that is uh, to the right as you're looking at it. Uh, that is a representation of Tony Randall, who mm -hmm. uh, was in the later version, uh, the, the the late 40s, early 50s version of uh, I Love a Mystery. My God, the, that show, kind of like uh, Lights Out, would go to great extremes with its violence and also... The Monsters, Temple of Vampires, about crash landing in uh, the jungles of South Africa and coming across, as it says, a temple of vampires and stuff. It's it's outstanding. It really is, again, I think really disturbing in the best ways. A great action show. Again, radio, but yet a great action yes. show. Unbelievable how they could achieve these those those sounds and those stories. Carlton e. Morris, good Lord. Carly Morse had a, a very vivid imagination. He did a number of different <laughs> mysteries like I Love in the in the vein of I Love a Mystery. Uh, and yeah, it is fascinating because he was and he was especially good at setting up situations, you know, that sort of, you know the premise. Right. And and we found we found something in the grave we shouldn't have found. Bump bump, you know, and, and then yes. in comes the closing theme. Um, yes, that haunting organ music absolutely yes, and very often i mean it's funny because very often the payoff would be that there was a perfectly rational explanation for it um and what i found fascinating too about i love a mystery is that carlton e morris the creator also created one man's family which is the quintessential family drama serialized family drama and you know it i've talked to people who worked on one or both of those shows and and they do talk about yes he was he was a man of of Many facets, but you realize, yes, to be able to do the heartwarming family drama on one hand and then the most horrific of scenarios on the other. It's like, I'm sure one one gave him a satisfaction, the other didn't, and probably, hopefully combined, they both gave him the appropriate satisfaction. Unbelievable stuff. And I um, just discovered, I, I don't know why it took this long for it to hit my radar, but I was watching Turner Classic Movies and I saw one of the I Love a Mystery films. And in those cases, it was just Jack and Doc. There was no Reggie. But um, but I bought a DVD that had all three of the Columbia films that they made. And I got to be honest, and maybe it's because Columbia, you know, whatever, had other things that were making more money. So they just abandoned it after the three movies. But I am kind of surprised that they didn't catch on more. Because, honestly, the premises there are just as shocking. The first movie that I saw was one where it dealt with a decapitation. And it's like yeah. pretty pretty grim for 1945, you know. Yeah, in Columbia in particular, I think. Although I think all the studios were were interested in popular radio properties. I mean, I know, of course, um, 
you know, in recent years, we've watched the Inner Sanctum films. Yes. Uh, I think which Universal produced, although I have to double check myself. I think there. you're right. Um, Columbia did a series of films based on The Whistler. Yes. With Richard Dix, I think. And, yes. Yeah, and you can argue whether they they were as dramatically satisfying as the radio show, but you know, that's that's what that's what all these industries were doing. All the mass media then is now. They're looking for something that has proven popular and marketable, and they'll they'll cross pollinate it every chance they get. That's why there were comic book movie heroes in the movie serials in the forties, you know? Absolutely. It's not because it's not because the people thought they were going to produce art. It's because they knew kids bought comics. And, and a lot of those, could, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, no, you're right. And truly, like The Adventures of Captain Marvel is probably the best of the cliffhanger superhero serials. And it really is amazingly well made at, at such a shoestring budget price. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, and, you know, I, I, it's something that is constantly uh, discussed on comic book blogs about how great it was and everything. And yeah. I guess uh, Hugh Hefner uh, running the Spy Smasher serial at the Playboy Mansion supposedly was one of the inspirations for William Dozier to consider bringing Batman to television. So I've heard that, and I've heard, too, that I guess um, the, the Batman and Robin serials from the 40s have been repackaged in the 60s and shown on, on in revival houses and whatnot. Sure. Um, That's amazing. And I have to say, I mean, I, I will always have a fondness for the Adam West Batman. That's just, oh, God, yeah. you know. I mean, isn't, just, it great, just, isn't it great before he passed away, he made those animated movies with uh, Burt Ward and yeah. Julie Newmar. And and really, even the last one we got where William Shatner played Two-Face. Yeah, I haven't seen that so, one yet. But I, it's Well, it's fun. I mean, you know, they're silly. They're fun. And right. the guys... Uh, James Tucker and oh god, Michael and I can't think of Michael's last name right now. Shame on me. But was they wrote. Like... No, it wasn't Michael Uslin. It was. Okay. Uh, it's a guy. He does a lot of animation work. He and James did the Batman Brave and Bold cartoon of the two okay. thousands, and uh, he also did. Michael also made the Thundercats uh, cartoon that happened in the last five years or so. That all the Thundercats fans that grew up with it are like. Like it was high drama for them. It was really like they upped their game, knowing they were going to hang on to the original Thundercats audience and make something a little Michael Jelenic. I knew I'd come up okay, with the name. Okay, okay. But anyway, um, no, they were such fans of the '66 show. They did a great job echoing the humor. They really did. They really and, did. And yeah, and then you got Shatner and, and Adam West, two of the biggest stars of the '60s. Finally, beyond that apparent uh, pilot for a, like a Roman period piece that they were in together. It's like one of the few things they did in the sixties, but now here they were in their, in their twilight years getting to be Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent. It was pretty cool. It's fun. So Yeah, no, I did love the first one. And, and of course, just the other people too, I think Thomas Lennon was commissioner Gordon. Yes. Uh, which, and, and, um, oh my God. And, and um, the actress's name, Stuart, somebody, I think who was, Frank Stewart? Vaughan. What's that? Oh, oh, okay. No, she was Miss Yvonne on Pee Wee's Playhouse. And then she was oh, uh, Aunt Harriet. Yes. Oh um, wow! I didn't realize she played Anne Harriet. That's fantastic. Yeah, That's so amazing. I mean, it, was just, it was great to see all these these voices, and of course, all these actors who are sort of learning what Adam West and his ilk learned, which is, hey, you know, when when you're too when you get a long in the tooth to be a leading man, there's animation, because they just need your voice. He and, sounded, uh, and they course, sounded great. Of, and a lot of the radio actors from the Golden Age, of course, turned up in cartoons in the '60s and '70s. Bob Hastings oh. and. Olan Sule, who was Batman yeah. and the Super Friends. <laughs> uh, I never knew how to say his name properly. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah. Man. 
Olan Sule. Um, and he was and, also an Andy Griffith on camera as uh, the hotel manager. And he was the leader of the church choir and everything. And uh, no, it, it's just like in, as you know, watching Radio Days, the Woody Allen film. Mm -hmm. And you got Wallace Shawn as the masked Avenger. Little, little tiny Wallace Shawn was this great super radio superhero. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so I mean, it was really, it was great to, to hear all those voices as I was getting into radio as a teenager in the 70s and 80s. And then realize, oh man, these folks are still with us. That's great. I'm only sorry I don't have a show now, so I can talk to them. I had to wait 30 years, and and but yeah. thankfully, I, I, I'm really grateful that a lot of them. Chuck Chuck Shade and my predecessors spoke to a lot of them, and and we've spoken to as many as we've been able to in the years since. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Honestly, Steve, you know, and I told you this last time, I think we spoke on the phone. You had an exceptional interview with Carl Reiner that I really, really loved. You Thank had you. an exceptional interview with Bob Elliott uh, that I thought was amazing. And Bob Elliott is one of my comedy heroes, as I'm sure he is of yours. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, anytime I could find uh, some stray video of Bob and Ray doing their routines on The Tonight Show or with Dick Cavett and just, oh, and even that, and it, wasn't it cool that in the 70s they got to do that one special with the women of Saturday Night Live? Oh and, yeah, and, that, and it's on YouTube, everybody. I mean, and it's like that's like these guys were the hippest comedians of the late '40s into the '50s on radio, got into television and had great success as well. And just the most interesting off the wall humor and the most unique comedy voices. Nobody was like Bob. We're like Bob and Ray, really. It's true. It's true. And and um, well, I was talking with with uh, Kevin Murphy from Mystery Science Theater three thousand, and and. We got on the subject of Bob and Ray, and he said, you know, it was sort of like it was such cognitive dissonance to think that two men who looked like appliance salesmen could be this funny. Um, and I will say this, too. In terms of, of radio work, one of the things I would really recommend, I know the, the Bob and Ray, Jane Lorraine and Gilda special, I think, is available on, on uh, video from um, BobandRay.com. I don't remember if it's oh, still okay, great. out there on, on, on legal release, as it were. Okay. But you should check it out. But um, 
I've been listening to a lot of the soap opera work that Bob and Ray did in the 70s at WOR with their characters, <laughs> Mary Backstage, Noble Wife. And it's really, if you, if you want a, a master class in radio acting, I'd say check some of these out because Bob and Ray, two fellas, both in their 50s, doing all the voices. And there are moments when, you know, one of them will be on the phone in one character. Meanwhile, the other guy, whether you know, Ray or Bob, will be in the background. He'll say something, switch voices, respond to that something. And then maybe Bob will come back in a different voice and say something as part of that conversation. Then Ray comes in. Meanwhile, Bob's character, other character, is back on the phone. I mean, it's really... I can't think of any of it's, it's it's verbal slapstick in that it's the equivalent of people running back and forth, but it's also like jazz where it's like all these lines yes. that sort of snake together and you wouldn't have thought they had anything in common, but man, it's just uh, unapproachably brilliant. So You know, I, I have to ask you, because honestly, it's something I've wondered and you mentioned, uh, we mentioned both like some of the 70s shows that we listened to, like Mystery Theater. Um Things like the the National Lampoon Radio Hour, which I know could could get very salty by mm -hmm. today's standards, but there's got to be some clean things. Would you ever consider playing things from that era? Because I understand the Golden Age ended in '62 with uh, Suspense right. and Gun and Johnny Dollar. Those are the last of the the Golden Age shows, and then we had Theater Five That's a couple right. years later on ABC. And uh, in fact, I learned how that uh, was canceled. It, because they used uh, music, the background music they had, they didn't have the license for it. And whoever owned the music caught oh, them. Right. And that's what killed the show. I had wow, no idea, I... but yeah. Uh, yeah, Harvey Wittenberg, uh, the great Blackhawks uh, PA announcer who still works in radio sales here in Chicago, uh, he was at LS uh, back when they were running that show, and he told me that's why it happened. That is wild. I didn't realize that. But yeah, because, I mean, it was... I, I mean, it was also sort of an uphill battle anyway. I'm sure probably ABC would have been happy for any excuse to kill it, pull the plug uh, if it was not producing ratings. But yes, once you once you cost the network money, yeah, yeah, real serious money, you're out. Um, I don't know. In terms of things like the National Lampoon or the Firesign Theater, they sure. they both did brilliant work, and and I would not fault that. And and you know, and and work that certainly reflects the time in which it was made. You know, yeah. I mean. Um, but that said, I, I think in some cases with, with things like the stuff from the seventies, there are some copyright and licensing issues. Okay. Um, I understand that, sure. that can take a while to untangle. I think, I think people have been trying to syndicate, keep syndicating the, the national lampoon radio hour for some time. And, um, but that said, a lot of that stuff turned up on albums and, and it's not oh, a yeah. question to think there'd be a place for it. Um, but that said, I think I think it's possible that boomers are adequately represented in popular culture. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> um, you know, it's the same reason somebody asked me if Nostalgia Digest would ever consider articles about Woodstock or the Rolling Stones. And it's like, are there, you know what, I have, I have sort of an unspoken agreement with Rolling Stone. I leave them alone and they leave me alone. <laughs> um, and it's worked out fine. You know, I just, I mean, it's one of those things, it's like, you know, if, if, if I really thought there was an aspect of that that was, that had not received proper attention, I mean, we've, we've certainly ran, run articles about 
you know, 60s television like Get Smart or The Batman Show, um, because that's not something that gets written up a lot. Sure. Um, you know, on the other hand, if you're talking about, you know, stuff from the 80s or 90s, well, of course, people were yeah. writing books about that in the 80s and 90s. So, I mean, Absolutely. No, I could, no, I could I hardly that. be, you know, I'm not sure we could we could add anything more to what people have said about The Simpsons. Um, well, no, and I agree with that, but I really was thinking more like the Lampoon Radio Hour or another another great sci-fi show of the 70s. Remember Alien Worlds? Hmm. I love that show. I don't know. Do you remember that? It was on either, either on the loop or it was on WMET back in the late 70s. And it was made by uh, the, the syndication company that made American Top 40, Casey Kasem's show. And they were just sitting on this equipment and saying, why don't we try something else? And they did in the because it was around the time of Star Wars. They created this anthology show. It's great. And again, there's examples on oh. YouTube of it. Do you know do you know the show I'm telling oh. you about it? No, I'm not. Or right. maybe okay, you did did we lose transmission for a second? A second there. I I, I turned into a pinwheel. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Terrible Halloween costume, by the way. Well, luckily we didn't lose it on our end. But yeah, again, oh, this okay. is so that oh, I was just talking about alien worlds. Do you remember alien right. worlds? You know, just vaguely, um, a lot of these, I, I have, I have a vague memory of hearing one or two episodes on whatever album rock station it was and thinking this is kind of unusual. And then my, my memory at the time is it seemed like as, as quickly as it was there, it was gone. Yeah. It didn't last long. No. And, and also, I mean, I, I will say that, Again, with with being a, a a teenager and having all these other myriad interests that sure you know I wasn't yet in the position of saying, you know I got a program around this time frame at at WMET or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I, mean, I think I it was, was it was either MET or it was the Loop. It was one of those, absolutely. But yeah, and um, I mean I do I know I made Saturday afternoons a regular part of of listening in the late seventies on W on when Chuck was on WNIB. Sure. <clears throat> but yeah, otherwise I, I, I wasn't really in a position to hear a lot of that stuff. I actually, I, I really only heard the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy because they were playing it on the midnight special, which my parents listened to. And here was this half hour of, of delightful absurdity. And of course fell in love with that as, as oh, everyone God, yeah. does. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, you know, to end to, to, Go back to what we were talking about earlier. We actually interviewed Simon Jones, who was Arthur Dent. That's amazing. Fantastic. Yeah, for, man. for the digest in, in in connection with the 30th anniversary of the Hitchhiker's Guide. Because I figured, you know, that's something that won't get written up a lot. And it really was something special. And and you know, the fact is that TV's TV versions and film versions just always fell short. Agreed. No, always. I think. Even Simon Jones said that the television version was extraordinarily limp. Well, again, that shoestring budget of, of uh, similarly to uh, 70s Doctor Who and what it couldn't do yeah. uh, with science fiction and stuff. But again, the material was so strong, I have to say, because I, I think I encountered it first as the television show, and then I found the radio show. But uh, yeah, it still worked because it was just so funny. Absolutely. I mean, you know. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, it's, again, now you, we mentioned a fireside theater. By the way, uh, Steve, are you, are you like, short on time? Because I don't want to mess you up. No, no, no. I mean, at some point I'll have to get dinner, but oh, okay. no, that's still a ways off. All right. Well, I appreciate the, these tangents about other radio because, sure. uh, again, clearly they fascinate me. Uh, but I was wondering regarding uh, fireside theater, I had the chance to interview Phil Proctor oh, of the nice. fireside theater 
in the last couple of years because he's been flirting with podcasting in the last couple of years. And he also wrote his memoir. Um, and I wondered, again, maybe not even to play on the radio show, but as you say, for the Digest, which I want to point out, NostalgiaDigest.org, and I'll make a banner so that it's at the bottom of our dot video. Com. Sorry. Or I'm sorry, NostalgiaDigest.com. But I'm not uh, as charitably minded as you think, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not as organized. I'm not as organized as an org. It's the it's the quarterly magazine that not only gives the schedule for the radio show, but there are these great uh, in interviews and uh, and articles about the period. Great photographs, always a, a great uh, nostalgic cover, and uh, and really for I mean for those of us who in the comic book nerd world love things like alter ego. And um, uh, back issue and, and the great publications of tomorrow. Uh, this is what uh, Steve and company do with the Nostalgia Digest. It's really it's a great magazine, and and again, it uh, it it tells you what to look forward to on uh, Steve's great four hour show that he does weekly. So it's it's ab absolutely worth uh, checking out. But yeah, I wondered if like if Phil would be like a, a subject for a possible oh, you know definitely. magazine definitely. article. We've We've talked with plenty of people whose connection to the golden age of radio was was tenuous, um, but the fact is, yes, if they've got a connection to the to to entertainment from years past, um, you know, then there's something there. I mean, we we had an interview, we ran an interview not long ago on our show and in, in the magazine with uh, Keir Delay, and Keir Delay's radio experience consisted of guest appearances on the CBS Radio Mystery Theater, but he was also someone to talk to about. You know, filming two thousand one in a pre CGI world. He was yes. and talked to about David and Lisa and Bunny Lake is missing. Yes, and and doing New York television in the fifties. You know, so some incredible stuff. I'll also say too that um, in the the new issue of Nostalgia Digest, and I left my copy just out of reach, um, but there is in fact uh, an article about the one hundredth anniversary of radio and. Uh, I owe the cover to my flirtations with comic books because it was done by a fellow named Mark Braun, whom I met back in the 90s when he was working, I think, for now okay. comics. And and I was uh, a young, aspiring writer. Um, and we've been friends ever since. And bless his heart, we needed a cover for the 100th anniversary of Radio Issue. And he came through with an absolute corker. Do I have time to grab that? Do I have, sure, if you want. Absolutely, okay. man. I'll be right back. I'll be back again. No, that's quite all right. Uh, honestly, folks, this is really great because uh, I've, I've had the pleasure of talking to Steve a few times in the past in person. It's great to get him back on the show. There so, we uh, uh, one second, Steve. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, isolate your camera. There we go. Oh, thank you. Yes. So, that's the cover Mark did for our uh, 100th yeah. anniversary of Radio Issue. Uh, and, and for anyone who does buy it, rest assured. Uh, there's a key inside that tells you who everyone is. We won't we won't force you to guess. Um, <laughs> Very Hirschfeld esque. Yeah, very much so. And and uh, and there's also an article about radio mystery and horror, which I uh, um, was kind of lucky enough to be able to publish. So there's a photo of Arch Obler and a photo of Raymond from Inner Sanctum. And anyway, you know, yeah, the fact is, well, and and I think you know, John, you and I have both feel this way, and I know we've talked about this that. The thing about nostalgia or any any of these these fields we're talking about, comic books, whatever, it's a very broad umbrella. Yes. You know, I mean, I know I know in comic books from my, my time writing them and, and working in the industry about and talking about them that, you know, there can be people who only read one kind of comics. But sure. 
I think, I mean, it goes without saying that those those people are ultimately probably missing out on a lot. Um, and they may be aware of that, and they may have simply decided that's not the other stuff, you know, that Adrian Tomine, uh or or Seth is not to their tastes, and that's their prerogative. But, you know, by the same token, I that stood me in good stead when I worked at Hero Illustrated, and we realized, all right, look, we've got Superhero X on the cover. Why don't we interview Chester Brown? Why don't we put Why don't we put an article about Jay Stevens inside, or or uh, you know Colleen Duran? Yes, and um, and the same applies to Nostalgia Digest. I mean, there's a lot there about radio, but there's a lot about movies and early TV and music and and just what it was like to be alive during that time. And and that's ultimately what it it comes down to is is getting a feel for an era that is now very much in the past. And that's what all this stuff is about. Totally. But the the other great thing is, I think, too, uh, and, and again, it's great to hear that when you do your, your public speaking and you get a younger generation to discover this stuff. And really, there's just such a goldmine of entertainment waiting. And, and, and you know, again, it's uh, not just uh, radio, as you say, but it's old television and old movies, certainly. But the radio stuff in particular, just because it's isn't it interesting, Steve, I, I you know, and I, I, I want those were the, uh, the days to continue. But it really feels like radio is contracting in a lot of ways, oh, terrestrial yeah. radio. And, uh, and you know, I uh, it, it is what it is, and that's a shame. But the exciting thing is now on the digital platform, we're, we're finding new life in audio drama. And I think that's, again, I think it's amazing. And the, the sophistication is back in uh, these productions. It was interesting in the 50s, as radio was getting better from a sound quality standpoint, it was starting to die off because of television, obviously. Right. And another great example that I do want to point people out for another horrific uh, subject was Brave New World as it was explored on the CBS radio workshop. And especially now that Peacock, the digital streaming television station, has a new version of Brave New World, I would say compare what they do in their 10 hours to what the radio workshop was able to do in, in just two hour episodes. And it's a very disturbing 1950s production of a, of a really amazing science fiction story. It is. And, and I, I agree. One of the things about radio in the 1950s is, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a bitter irony that everyone involved was really getting to be at the top of their game, just as the opportunities for producing radio drama were, were decreasing. Um, and that's why it's always interesting when we get to play things from the late 50s, because you know the people involved, one, they love it, and two, they're really good at it. Because if, yeah. if neither of those things were the case, or even if one of those things wasn't the case, you wouldn't be wasting your time with it. You'd, sure. be, you'd be on the Warner Brothers lot shooting 77 Sunset Strip. Totally. You know? <laughs> um, <You're right. laughs> and, uh, and so, yes, it's great fun to hear things like yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and Suspense, and Have Gun, Will Travel. And yes, that, and, um, and in fact, I will say at, at our website at NostalgiaDigest.com, there's a collection of science fiction shows on radio. And the one-hour adaptation of Brave New World is on that set. And it's, you're right, it's really striking. And, and again, it's partly because um, these are people who are really, really good at, at presenting this stuff. And also, I dare say, when, when money became less of an issue, maybe network oversight also became less of an issue. I don't want to say that the networks went raw. Certainly, you know, nothing, nothing on radio in the 50s was as permissive 
uh, or as, as quite as boundary pushing in terms of subject matter as what television became in the 70s. But, sure. you know, the fact is, yes, that they could do shows, uh, you know, they could do Western dramas related to uh, Native American genocide, you know, and yes. things like that. Even in as a as a passing mention, you know, and um, they could, you know, so it was really it was a fascinating time to hear these things, and and uh, you know that's that's the thing. I always think it's people ask me when it was the golden age of radio, and and you sort of have to explain. Well, you know, NBC was the first network, went on in twenty six. Suspense was the last network drama, went off in sixty two. But in a way, it's like a person's life in that. Maybe the first few years aren't the thing you remember the most. It's still we're still kind of learning to walk and talk. Maybe the last few years are a slow decline, and maybe we're not at our peak. But once in a while, you 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 remind people of why you're there. And uh, so yeah, listening to that's the the shows from all eras. Uh, it's utterly fascinating to me. And. This goes way off whatever subject we were on. No, no. In fact, you mentioned, and again, we were talking about Brave New World and science fiction. And, of course, X minus one and oh, Dimension yes. X have to come up. And uh, it's tied, both uh, shows ties to Galaxy Magazine, the great sci-fi pulp of its day. And Ray Bradbury stories and James Blish stories and all the great names of science fiction of the moment in the 1950s. Their stories were adapted. Ernest Kenoy. Uh, all, all great writers and, the, and their stuff is represented quite well on these sci-fi shows. And I, I really think both Dimension X and X minus one, you'll find a lot of really interesting, disturbing stories and, and mm -hmm. great, just pure space opera as well. Yes. Well, I mean, and, and certainly we're not the first people to say this and, and everyone who's pretty much everyone who's ever written science fiction has said this, that it's a genre that allows you to tell stories about the modern world by dressing them up in futuristic trappings, you know? Yeah. Um, so yes, you can, you can tell some incredibly resonant and profound things in, in science fiction. And you mentioned Ray Bradbury and, and, and I think you, there are certainly people that, I mean, Sam Weller, who's written the terrific uh, biography of Ray Bradbury, but um, Ray Bradbury was one of those writers who was so at home in all of these fields. I mean, you know, one of his first major sales was to the series Suspense. So, yes, when when they wanted his work for Dimension X or X minus one, uh, I'm sure he was happy to do what he could to make sure they could dramatize it. And of course, um, as I recall, too, didn't EC basically take one of his stories and publish it without his permission? <laughs> yeah, the great anecdote about how he kind of shamed them and is like, I didn't get my you know royalty check for that story of uh, mine that you did. And I guess William Gaines is like, all right, he caught us, give him the money, you know, <laughs> which is so representative of, of fifties comic book publishers. Oh, very and stuff. much so. Yes. So well, at least Bradbury got paid. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, that's again, you know, you mentioned that um, Willis Cooper, uh, uh, quiet please where they had, the, the artificial intelligence falling in love with his creator. Well, that showed up on a Twilight Zone, I know, another 20 years later with mm -hmm. uh, from Agnes with Love, the Wally Cox uh, episode oh, of right. the Twilight Twilight Zone. I mean, that's but that's the thing, man. No, it's um, th if you want the connective tissue or find out about what it will likely influence things like the Twilight Zone, you point to X minus one and Dimension X. And like you say, that's what they were doing. They were telling morality tales in the guise of science fiction, Absolutely. just like Sterling was. Yeah. 
Well, and Serling wrote for Radio Course, too. I think he was on the uh, Dr. Christian show. Oh, I didn't realize was, that specifically. Wow. I think so, yes. And, of course, for those who don't know, Dr. Christian, one of the conceits behind it was that it, it proclaimed itself as the, the show where the audience writes the script. And what invariably happened is people would submit scripts. Um, they would be you know, accepted for broadcast and the people would get their small cash stipend. And and then someone like Rod Serling would come in and perform, perform the, the actual reconstructive surgery that got them into broadcast form. Sure. I mean, I suppose it'd be like if, if one of us sent lyrics to Elvis Costello, it's like, okay, now please you take them and make them actual <laughs> lyrics. Would you do that? Thank you. Absolutely, uh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> or the open submission policy that we heard about from Star Trek all those years. And oh, that, yeah. yeah, story ideas would come in from fans. And then, like you said, yeah, the writer staff would put the polish on it and make it into a workable episode. So, yeah. Right. right. So, yeah, I mean, um, it's so, yeah, it is It is fascinating. I think that's one of the things I love about this this radio work and, and the comics, too, is that you realize all this stuff had many, it was a many-armed monster, you know, and yes. it had its hand in so many things that even if we don't know radio, it had its hand in so many things that we now take for granted today, whether it's reruns of old TV shows or whether it's remakes of old movies or um, whether it's, you know, that contact commercial from radio in the 60s with the voice of Mandel Kramer, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot of people who did such an indelible job and, and it was a great medium for uh, influencing other media. Agreed. And again, just uh, straight up great drama, straight up great Westerns. Every genre you could think of was represented on radio before, obviously, before the invention of television or at least North American television. I know the British certainly had television as far back as the, the 30s, at least, or even maybe the late 20s. I don't remember specifically. But uh, radio, no, radio was just so vital. Great writers. Uh, we mentioned suspense. William Spear, the fine producer of that, mm -hmm. I know, was given the uh, title "The Hitchcock of the Airwaves" uh, right. because uh, because of his great work in producing. And we mentioned Elliot Lewis and his work with Armed Forces. There's another great actor and writer producer that made incredible radio. Yeah, and suspense had uh, they both worked on suspense at different times, and and it's fascinating because they both were able to bring something very unique in terms of an editorial voice. I mean, William Spear, of course, was producing suspense in the um, mid to late 40s when it was still, you know, there was still a great interest in the locked room mysteries, you know, and, and um, you know, you could do the stories, you know, the stories by people like uh, Dorothy Sayers, but also, you know, Cornell Woolrich uh, and people of that sort. Uh, sure. And and he would adapt, you know, fairly well known writers like like James Thurber and George S. Kaufman and and Bradbury, of course. Elliot Lewis came in in the fifties and found that, you know, maybe that the days of gothic horror from the had were over, and and he put a renewed emphasis on true crime stories and and stories based in fact, you know, um, and and a lot of, you know human drama as well. I mean, and, and, and in the process, yes, told some amazing stories and, and sometimes revived some classic ones. I mean, I, I still rem I marvel at the fact that Elliot Lewis directed a two-part adaptation of Othello on suspense with Richard Widmark in the role of Iago. And it's like, yeah, that's utterly brilliant. Yeah. I'm with you. And, man. No, you know, it's amazing. And, 
Yeah, and and that writer is going to go places too. Mark my words. <laughs> um, well, and he and he also like Hyman Brown was involved with a seventies radio revival well, right. with with Sears Radio Theater. And again, I th- I want to say it was the interviews with Chuck where he talked about his frustrations putting trying to put that show on the air and uh, hearing all the stories. No, honestly, man. Again, that's the thing. Like you know, yeah, radio. The Golden Age died with in in sixty two. But there were always attempts that somebody always in a room is like, you know, drama still can work on radio. Let's try X. And The Zero Hour, that other show that uh, right. both Elliot Lewis and Rod Serling were involved in. I know Serling was the narrator of it, only I think as an actor. I don't think he yeah. necessarily wrote for it. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, no, interesting shows, man. Um, and, I and yeah, well, you know, a, a great horror show, and the CBC made this. Uh, an anthology show called Nightfall, and oh, right. I, and that's a really strong horror show that I could point uh, listeners to and viewers that are watching us right now. Definitely, yeah. I mean, and 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 yeah, certainly the British were doing radio drama for decades after Americans were still do. And you're right. In it, it, it's a shame that the uh, Americans' efforts after the golden age of radio were were fleeting and few and far between because. It would be really nice to have subsequent generations who were taught about how to produce this kind of a show. Um, you know, it's just it it becomes a little more difficult, and I, and I probably sound like a traditionalist, which I I don't want to sound like like there's only one way to do these things, but I think we can say there's a difference between you know uh, firing a blank pistol near a microphone versus a recording of a gunshot sure. you know and that sort of thing or or even the the recording of a door slamming i mean it's great that stuff exists but you know there is uh when when radio was live all these elements had to work together and you all everyone had to listen to one another i mean the few times i've ever tried to direct actors in a radio script yeah um the thing you just tell you, you just have to say is you know everyone just listen Listen, listen, good, as John Wayne would say, um, because you're going to have to respond not only to the other actors, but also to the fact that your character is purportedly pressing a door button, a door buzzer, or, you know, slamming a car door. And when you're doing that, if you're talking and you slam the car door and you speak a little louder right there for emphasis, you know, or if you're in a struggle with somebody, you know, I mean, obviously... You know, a fight scene on radio is two guys going, uh, uh. Um, but you also have to, you know, you have to do those lines in such a way that you know going in, all right, this is where I'm throwing the punch is on this moment, you know. So it's 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 fascinating stuff. And yeah, it's in well, like we've said, it's just, it's so great to know that there are people who still appreciate the value of audio drama, whether they're veterans of the golden age or a subsequent age. Um, because yes, if you're, if you're in a position to inspire people to use their imaginations, uh, who knows what it's going to lead to, you know? No, agreed. And, um, you know, I, I've, uh, I've seen you guys on stage do your radio recreations of the, when you were at the Irish, uh, heritage, uh, hall. Oh, yeah. The Irish center. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Irish center. Uh, yeah. In the city few, a couple of years ago and you had Trace Ballou and Rich Coe's. Uh, doing a Norman Corwin uh, show, and then also an episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, and it was great because uh, Trace's father 
was a claims adjuster, an insurance That's investigator, right. just like Johnny Dollar, although uh, not as glamorous as Johnny, claims yes. adjuster essentially. But yeah, I, I mean, as as he made fun of, it's true, the tagline for uh, Johnny Dollar, the man with the action-packed expense account. That's right. I know the, the real life insurance <laughs> investigators weren't quite so action packed, but that's okay. You know, yeah, that's I mean, the it's, best. That's the best detective show. Those 15 minute, five a week episodes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. They, they really are the equivalent of like audio movies because they really are that long. You said about 75 minutes or so. And, like and, 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 and equally effective as I think some of the, the best noirs that RKO and Columbia and the like were making back then. Yeah, the 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 fifteen minute dramas of the fifties are really fascinating because uh, CBS did this with with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and I think with with other characters like Mister Keen, Tracer of Lost Persons, and whatnot. Um, <laughs> the kindly old investigator, yes, yes. <laughs> and, um, and you're right. I mean, the writers appreciated it because it gave them a little more time to flesh out characters and story arcs, and it wasn't a case of, you know, I mean, I mean, I love half hour audio drama and I love half hour detective shows, but one of the inherent limitations is that you sort of have to go on the assumption that every uh, anyone you meet after the first 15 minutes of the show is not going to be your killer. You know, you're, it's going to be someone you meet in the first 15 minutes. And so if you only meet two or three people, well, guesswork becomes a little uh, easier, but that said, yeah, I mean, it's it, it the Johnny Dollar 15-minute show, a lot of people talk about how that's really one of their favorite shows ever. And I have to agree. And, of course, it helped to have a terrific actor like Bob Bailey in the title role. Understood. Understood. I'm so sorry, Steve. I've got a wrap because I had totally forgotten. I, I have a I have a Star Trek uh, podcast that I've, <laughs> I I should be doing in about, uh, about 20 minutes or 25 hey, that's minutes. that's fine. So, uh, but, what, one thing I'd love to say, if I may. Please, of course. Um, well, I know you'll you'll tell us where we can learn more about my my various efforts, but um, the timing of this is perfect. Not only because tomorrow's those were the days Halloween show for Halloween, uh, but also because next month, November, I think, uh, Marvel Comics resumes publishing the Marvel anthology, uh, which I'm a part of. Which my you doing for that? Please, yeah. Uh, my um, Alex Ross uh, got me into this. Uh, um, uh, I'm writing the uh, Doctor Strange framing div- story that that frames each of the six issues. Uh, the first one came out, I think, in March, and um, the second one finally, I think, is coming out in November. So uh, I'm very excited about that. And I know Alex has gotten some really top-notch people involved in this book, uh, and I'm really happy to be along for the ride because, I mean, you know, it was it's it's great fun to collaborate with Alex. I've had occasion to do it a couple times. And yes, your fine uh, graphic novel series of uh, Uncle Sam was outstanding, yes. man. I loved it. It was amazing, and uh, yeah, among among your other comic book work. And I'm really glad you're involved in this project, Steve. I didn't know that. I know Hillary Barta is uh, is doing a story for it, and he and I talked about that. And Alex's uh, art rep, Sal Abinati, is always telling me about what's going on with this. Uh, with this series and hopefully I'll be talking to Alex in the next couple of weeks. And maybe this is a good excuse for us to uh, talk when, uh, when this uh, is up and running. Absolutely. Yeah. I know it's something he worked really hard to put together. So I'm very proud of him for that. And I'm really grateful, you know, for the chance to, to come around. I, thanks to Alex, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, my comic book writing career has not involved many trips at bat, but um, 
when you get to work with someone like Alex, your batting average will implicitly be pretty good. Agreed. So I'm very proud of that. And um, yeah, and then uh, you were kind of to put our, 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 our own website URL up there. And certainly that's where people can learn about Nostalgia Digest magazine and getting old time radio shows on CD. And of course, hearing past editions of Those Were the Days. Absolutely, man. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to the Halloween broadcast tomorrow. It starts at 1 p.m. If you want to catch it live streaming, you can go to WDCB.org and uh, listen to it there. Uh, I, I Do you have a live stream for it, or is it always the week after that you post on? Uh, no, the, the live stream is on the WDCB website, and then uh, the following Tuesday, we post the archived version. So Excellent. if you miss tomorrow's show on, on October 31st, um, you can hear it anytime after... I think for any time for two weeks after November the second, something November the third. Yeah, that's great, man. And uh, yeah, uh, Jesus, uh, I look forward to uh, the Marvel anthology coming up, but also uh, Uncle Sam in these political times. You can reach back and read a, a great graphic novel from uh, from Steve and Alex Ross. It's uh, yes, it's apparently, terrific. Apparently, copies are available in the trunk of my car um, because. <laughs> I'm always amazed. I mean, I, I, I was sort of hoping that in an election year, DC would bring it back into print, but uh, uh, apparently I don't have the clout there that I, well, I never did, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, for your kind words about it. It meant, it meant a lot for us to get to do that book. And, and I'm really, if it still has resonance after 20 odd years, I'm really grateful. It's, it's a great, it's, it's very hard hitting. And I think a lot of uh, what what it says is still applicable to today's times. Absolutely. So well, yeah. Feel free to let DC know anyone who who feels this way, because uh, I would love to write a revision to my uh, afterward there. So, oh, anyway. that I can appreciate that as well, Steve. Seriously, great, really fun uh, talking about this stuff. I could go on for hours, and I'm I'm really glad that we had this chance to talk about it more uh, today. And uh, no, you're welcome back, man. Let's not wait years uh, between shows like we have in the past. John, thank you for your hospitality. It's lovely to see you again, and, and I'm really glad for the chance we had to talk about two subjects that mean a great deal to me. So thank you. Absolutely, man. Steve Darnell, everybody. I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing about uh, the golden age of radio. That is back. And again, WDCB.org and uh, NostalgiaDigest.com uh, to get uh, the Nostalgia Digest itself and also keep track of Steve's excellent show, Those Were the Days, that happens every Saturday here on Chicago Radio on WDCB. That's Steve Darnall. On today's Those Were the Days radio show, you can hear Quiet Please from 1948, Calling All Souls, pretty amazing, Lights Out, A Knock at the Door, Mysterious Traveler, The Man, The Insects Hated, nah, Murder at Midnight, The Creeper, and Inner Sanctum, A Corpse for Halloween. All great horror classics. Uh, on Those Were the Days, and you can hear it streaming today uh, starting at Saturday afternoon at 1 p.m. on WDCB.org. If you missed it on Halloween, uh, they will be uh, live on uh, Steve's website, NostalgiaDigest.com. They will be streaming there, and also the previous week's show will be there as well. So uh, make sure you check out Steve's excellent show, Those Were the Days, either at WDCB.org to stream live Saturdays from 1 to 5, or on NostalgiaDigest.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. We've got more great stuff coming. I'm also releasing a horror panel that I did last weekend for Baltimore Comic-Con, a great discussion about the genre in comics, uh, television, and film with uh, great people, Afua Richardson, Mike Morisi, 
Tim Seeley and my good buddy Jim Terry, and even a surprise cameo at the end from my dear friend Jeremy Hahn. Lots of fun, great conversation, great collection of horror uh, aficionados and comic book creators. The horror panel from Baltimore Comic Con to uh, give you more Halloween entertainment today on Word Balloon. As always, this episode of Word Balloon brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners and their subscriptions and support of Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash wordballoon. I am pleased to say that not only are there listeners, but also a lot of comic book guests are uh, supporters of Word Balloon via Patreon and part of the League. Uh, I would like to uh, send you a domino mask and cape for your support. If you're interested, I know it's a weird time and a lot of people are counting every penny um, is Word Balloon and the programming I provide to you each month worth a dollar a month to you? Is it worth the price of a comic book a month? If you think it is, if you can swing it, I hope you'll consider a subscription to Word Balloon via Patreon, patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Word Balloon is also brought to you by Aftershock Comics. Aftershock has a really interesting slate of books that are happening. A really neat book that just got announced. It's called Knock 'em Dead, and it's from Elliot Ryle and Mattia Monaco. Prior Bryce has always wanted to be funny, and now he's taken the plunge and started doing stand-up comedy. Unfortunately, his older sister, Ronan, wants her brother to stop daydreaming and focus on his future. Prior is determined to succeed. The only problem is he totally sucks at stand-up. That is until an accident changes everything, leading both Prior and Ronan to discover comedy isn't all, all it's cracked up to be. Coming your way in December, it's Knock 'em Dead, a supernatural horror about the high cost of making it. Brought to you by Elliot Royale and Mattia Monaco from Aftershock Comics. Pretty neat stuff. A new interesting book that will be joining the Aftershock Pantheon. Check out more details. Go to their website and find out about more great series. Full story descriptions, preview pages of art, and the diamond coats on how to order these books and more at AftershockComics.com. Until next time, Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions. Copyright 2020. Stay safe, stay happy, and have a happy Halloween. Stay healthy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.